This is the Constructionist Podcast, where we take ancient stories, the person of Jesus, current events and topics, and help you construct a new Christian worldview that's relevant and loving to those around you. I'm your host, Kevin Bates. I'm a semiotician and community builder looking at the signs of the times to build a better future together. You are tuned into the Constructionist Podcast, and tonight we are doing a short mini-series on the Bible, what to believe and what to leave. And we encourage a worldview that is built in the principles of Christ around here. And so in this episode, we are examining the Bible through a clear and honest lens. We will probably ruin the Bible for some of you as we talk about Old Testament stories, New Testament stories, and give some new perspectives that may go against what you have learned on your flannel graphs in Sunday school or what your Sunday school teacher taught you. So by doing so, we hope to offer insights and perspectives that will help you in your own journey towards a greater understanding of love and compassion for yourself and others. So we want to assure you that in tonight's episode, we will not be fabricating anything. And I'm gonna say this, as others have done with the Bible, lots of people have made up lots of things that don't even exist and the Bible wasn't even intended to be for. So any information and ideas that we have here, we're gonna give you an honest perspective. If we if we tell you it's a guess, it's a guess. If you t- we tell you to go fish and do some homework, we're gonna tell you to go fish and do some homework. But our goal here is to provide an authentic perspective of our examination. So this is our thinking space. We are presenting these ideas and thoughts about the Bible making our best attempt to explain theologies to live by. So if you enjoy the Constructionist podcast and want to support us financially, please go to the link in the chat or show notes on the social media platform you're listening to and visit our Give page. You can support us through our Patreon page, also at The Constructionist. So your support will enable us to continue producing high-quality content like this. So if you're listening tonight or through the week, you can interact with us. And so most importantly, we want to hear from you and engage with you. We believe that through our interactions and discussions with listeners like you, we will continue to learn and grow together. That's what we want. So we value your feedback, your questions, your ideas, and we're excited to build a community around a shared exploration called a communal hermeneutic. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us and let us know what you think and ask some questions because tonight might be a global threat to your understanding and perspective of the bible and so we want to give you a forewarning of this episode that we're going to be deconstructing some ancient some ancient ideas especially if you're ancient we're going to be studying ancient ideas and kind of tossing some things out the window without throwing the baby out with it so sharia jake thanks for joining us this is kind of our wheelhouse topic so we really like this topic we probably have a bunch of minutes of information so we're going to try to scale it down i'm just coming in from north idaho where i have a father that lives in north idaho so i'm still just rolling into town so i feel the feel the road noise still in my ears but i'm excited to be here and go over this so where do we start what are we going to start with 
We're starting with the boxes. Oh, the boxes. So these boxes are uh, Richard Rohr's boxes on deconstruction to reconstruction. So bring our faces back up, Jake, before we uh, get the cat out of the bag there with the boxes. So, so we have talked a lot about deconstruction and we've also talked about a lot about reconstruction. I believe that you really, it's dangerous to deconstruct without some form eventually of reconstruction. You might stay in deconstruction for a very long time in your life and that's okay. And we're going to give you the space to do that. But eventually what our desire is, is that we would reconstruct faith. There's a real problem though. And I was just talking to my friend, Jake Marshall, who is in, um, well, he's in uh, South Carolina right now and he's been up and down the East coast. His father's a missionary in London but he is doing the ministry lab and it's a it's a ministry that he does or is actually birthing right now where there's lots of people who need to spend some time in deconstruction and our hope and his hope through the ministry lab and our prayer for him is that people would learn to reconstruct in our conversation in my conversation with him today actually on the road we had just this rich conversation of of where the church is at and why the church is what it is there's a great challenge with evangelicalism that dirty word it's almost like a cuss word for some of us around here <clears throat> but that dirty word of evangelicalism he called it the emperor's new clothes where in that story the children's story the emperor and and no one will tell the emperor that the emperor needs clothes and in that in that story it rightly relates to evangelicalism because evangelicalism is just sitting there just old and naked and just needs new clothes and actually needs a new body um and i said that it's like no one really wants to look at a really old person just you know naked without clothes they want to dress them up a little bit and so I said, well, how about let's not just dress him up. How about let's just get him into the gym and work out and and get some uh, get a better physique on that body of Christ. And so just like we need new clothes, we need a new body. We need to deconstruct evangelicalism in order to get there. Like what's wrong with evangelicalism? I think that evangelicalism, if you look at um, Kerry Newhoff's new information, if you look at his podcast, uh, kerrynewhoff.com, if you look at his podcast and look at what he's doing with toxic environments, very interesting podcast about how toxic environments emerge. <clears throat> and it, it just happens really slowly. I think, you know, 25, 26 years now, 25 years in ministry for me, uh, preaching every Sunday, uh, leading church every Sunday. Um, you know, we're busy. Pastors are busy. Sometimes we don't see the toxicity that starts to emerge, even from ourselves. So we just get our, we're in a very distracted, busy society. Pastors are the same. We collect these communities together. And what I was talking to Jake about today is what is the church producing right now? What's the fruit that's being produced from the church? There's a growing number of people that do not, will not ever possibly go to church again because we keep giving them the same show with the same lies, trying to spiritualize them out of the Bible. And so I think that it's time to take a shift, a paradigm shift, go through a little deconstruction to reconstruction. So this is why we're going over this topic, the Bible. It's going to ruin some of you. It will encourage many of you. 
Um, and I hope that we can all get to reconstruction eventually in our life. So Sharia, you're going to take Richard Rohr's boxes. Explain mm -hmm. those boxes to me because we've gone over them before, but I need a refresher. So let's look at these. Right. So these boxes um, comes from Richard Rohr. And then we've got um, also, I guess, a reblog from the Bible for normal people. Um, but the boxes describe the journey of deconstruction. And it's a movement from order. We start in order. It's the, um, the framework we've been given, the beliefs that have been handed down to us. Um, and especially for those of us who grew up in a church environment, um, we probably didn't question a whole lot when we were younger. Um, but eventually life happens. We learn more perspectives on the world and those belief systems don't work the way they used to. Maybe they don't, the answers that they offer aren't satisfying anymore, or um, they just don't square with what we've come to know about the world. Um, and that puts us into this second box of disorder. Um, and disorder is disorienting. Um, it feels like your faith is falling apart. Um, it feels like maybe the spiritual practices that used to be meaningful stop working or aren't meaningful anymore. Um, and it's a time of grappling with those questions of letting go of the beliefs that no longer serve us. Um, I really like the metaphor of um, a house of cards versus a brick wall. So if your faith is a house of cards and you try to inspect one of the cards in that house, you pull it out of the house and the whole thing collapses. But if we look at our faith as a brick wall and we need to inspect some of those bricks, we can pull out a brick and the wall doesn't fall apart. So deconstruction is a place of being able to look at individual bricks, figure out what needs to be reshaped, what can just be put back in place and what needs to be removed. And eventually that process brings us to the reorder box. Um, and this is where we find our faith again. Um, it probably looks different, or at least it should, than the faith we started with. Um, but it's it's a re reconnection to that faith. And I do really like the, the quote that's on this image too, talking about um, death and resurrection as a model for faith, um, which I think is really beautiful since that's the whole story of our Christian faith anyway. So those are the boxes. Nice. Well, I would say that in the church, when we get to a certain point in our faith, whatever that crucible time is, um, we all of a sudden have a spiritual, sometimes a spiritual awakening that then we go through our timeline of Christianity we hearken all the way back to the very beginning of wherever we entered into the church. And we realize that what we learned, what we always knew was true, what we experienced was real and our foundation of faith is built on. And we find out that that was wrong or that's not really fruitful teaching or maybe even it was a complete lie. You know, maybe it was a complete lie. 
And we're going to talk about those lies really honestly in this podcast. <clears throat> so maybe we just woke up one day, had a spiritual awakening, started like, like looking back through the annals of our Christian faith. And we realize, wow, all of these things are just not true. So we enter into that first box. And that first box is, and, and we begin to the second box. That can be a very painful experience for some. So I'm not negating anyone's pain in that's listening or have experienced lies that turned out to be, you know, like, like it turned out to be lies. Um, I just woke up one day and went, wait a minute. Why, why did they lie to me? Why did they not just give me, am I not intelligent? Am I not like, am I just stupid? So sometimes in that disorder time, we can really abandon, we can really run away um, from faith. And I think what we're, what I really want to run away from is the lie. I want to run away from the church that teaches the lies. I want to run towards a more true, honest <clears throat> faith, a more true, honest look, a genuine, vulnerable. I want to, my friend John, uh, our friend John, I should say, um, told me once, I really honestly believe a pastor that, that can stand up and be vulnerable enough to say, I'm about 65% sure that this is true. The rest of it is just kind of that gray area that I'm not sure if this is all certain. And Peter ends the Bible for normal people that reblog. Um, he says that there's sin in that kind of certainty. If you hear somebody stand up and say, this is 100% true. Uh, I mean, you know that you gotta, you gotta question, okay, where then is faith in certainty? There's not a necessary uh, faith for certainty. So one of the questions that we're trying to answer is, is the Bible false? I mean, if some of these biblical truths that we learned um, on the flannel graph are not real, they're not, not true, then is the Bible false? And I would say, and I'm going to open it up uh, to talk about that openly. What we've done with the Bible is false. There are mistakes in the Bible, and we got to be honest with that. There are genuine mistakes in the Bible. You can't have a piece of literature around for that long and not have some mistakes in the Bible. So what, what pastors, theologians will do is we'll make up something called the um, inerrancy of Scripture in the original form. So we'll say things like, well, in the original form that we don't have and nobody has seen and we've never been able to unearth and we don't really know what's on those pages is like a mystical inerrancy. And th that is an intact document. Well, that kind of defense of scripture that doesn't exist as a defense, it's just not a defense. So inerrancy is just one of those false doctrines that just, it just doesn't exist it just has no, it has no footing. Um, so, so the Bible has mistakes in it that we need to reconcile it or be okay. Um, I love what Peter N says in his book, Sin of Certainty, where he says the Bible is fully God and fully man written fully by God and man, both. And, and therefore there's human error within those scriptures that need to be reckoned with. So is the Bible false?
that is our first question of the of the night <clears throat> i have a hard time with the words of false and true and mm -hmm. um you just deconstructed the sentence? <laughs> no, <I> yeah. Mean, <laughs> give, we're not, we need to take the idea of personhood away from, of scripture, of the Bible. And so it is, it's not morally polarized or ethically polarized. Mm -hmm. um, it has no, it, it is supposed to be a neutral force. It is just a piece of literature. What we do with it makes it true or false or or have error. What we what we read into it, what how we stack it up against each other. If we if we treat the texts as a text and like as it is supposed to be, where it was written at, the context, who wrote it, and all those things are stacked up, then you can say you know, this author may, that, that, is in, that is in scripture, this author may have had misinformation or not the full, or they were trying to tell a different story or just trying to tell a story and not necessarily a true narrative, but just a story hmm. for story's sake. And so I, to say it's false, fake, or, or even have mistakes is to give it is to give it more power than it needs to have. Um, we were taught the pledge allegiance to the Bible a long time ago. Right. And so we've given it this, I never learned that one. What is that? <laughs> I can't even, I can't repeat it anymore. I, I couldn't do that one anymore <laughs> I, either. I pledge allegiance to this Bible, God's holy word. And I, I forget lamp into my feet, something like that. So anyways, um, so you pledge, Allegiance whoa, to this. whoa, whoa! Wait a minute. You, where did you learn? In like a, a private school? In, in kindergarten? Yes. Know, kindergarten um, in uh, Sunday school, right? I think Pow even recited that at her, at her graduation ceremony. She was the one that, that did the pledge allegiance to the Bible, and I'm like, wow, that was that was ironic. Um, <laughs> I don't remember that. Yeah, that was, that's not, that's not there anymore. I, maybe that was a moment of trauma that I just blank blank out. You know? But to but to say it's false and to say it's to say it has error is to give it more power than it needs to have. We have to take it as it's supposed to be. Mm. Trey, do you have any um, thoughts? Yeah, I, agree I have and three. Kind of disagree with that. I mean, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, one metaphor that I've heard that I really like is, um, so, you know, the painting Starry Night by Van Gogh. Yeah. Is Starry Night true or false? You don't need to declare it true or false. Right. Cause it's a work of art. Oh, okay. And, and great literature is also a work of art. So the question kind of becomes irrelevant at that point. Well, I would say, how about this? Instead of saying that there's mistakes, because yeah, we actually don't know if it was a mistake. Something's written and we don't know if that was an accurate mm -hmm. telling or an inaccurate telling or a mistake right. written or not I mean, there's, written. Right? There's some definite things in there that are. I would say, I would use the word 
contradiction. There are things mm -hmm. that are in contradiction in scripture that are as plain as, you know, morning and night that, mm -hmm. that is in contradiction that one story is happening this way and another story is happening this way. Uh, that I believe, you know, call it a mistake, call it a contradiction. I guess, I guess that's, you know, what it is. I do love that Shreya looking at it as a piece of art that there's no reason to call it false or true. You're right, mm -hmm. Jake. What people have done with the Bible is, is false and true. You know, the old church, the liturgical church back in like ancient times, um, used to control people's literacy and you know mm -hmm. there was a lot of like lack of education people couldn't read people couldn't write um, back in the day and and a little side story uh jake flug who's here with us at the podcast here the constructionist we were at um a monastery and th there was a monk standing outside the monastery and i just talked to start talking to the monk and I asked I heard that there's a rare book library in the monastery and he said yes it's in the vault I'm like oh okay and you know I just th thought nothing of it that we couldn't go see it because it's in the vault whatever wherever that was and he's like well you want to go take a look and I'm we're like whoa okay sure so he takes us into this vault of the most precious books that I've ever handled. And he let us handle them without gloves. That was the thing that I was shocked by is he let us handle these things without gloves. He wanted them actually to be touched. He wanted them to be held and felt, which I thought was very powerful, but he put in our hands a commoner's Bible and it threatened my views of culture of the probably first thousand, 1200 years of the church mm -hmm. where we all have thought that the the uh, the the Latins, um, the Latin Orthodox Church, pulled the Bible out of the people's hands and controlled it from the front. Nobody could read, so therefore we're just going to control it from the front. That's not all the way true because there are commoner Bibles that do exist that were in people's homes. They were just very expensive, and so if you had some dollars, you could buy a commoner's Bible that you could have for readings at home. Most people though heard the Bible from the stage or from the front, from the priest. And that was a sense of control. I think it's the same today where we make up things out of the Bible, right? The Bible's in everyone's hands or can be in everyone's hands. And we make up things out of the Bible to control. We don't want people to explore the gray area. So we have preachers and pa pastors that stand up and they will say this is true from cover to cover so they use that language this is true from cover to cover without error so there's that inerrancy theology of inerrancy again um and then we tell the same version of the story parable uh or or narrative over and over and over again so people think that like People think that the Exodus actually existed. People think that Noah and the Ark actually existed. People think that David was a real person. People only know one version of creation. People think that Revelation is a certain book. I just kind of threw out our next topics there for the next several weeks. Mm -hmm. But uh, people think a certain version 
of scripture and not allowed to explore any other ideas. So when the story, the parable of feeding the thousands, when Jesus fed thousands of people and passed out bread and fish, that story is a miraculous story of Jesus just being pulling out bread and fish out of a basket versus a story of generosity from side to side that people actually had the bread and fish with them and shared out of their own baskets. That might threaten you just right there. It's like, what? I've never heard that before. Um, or the parable of the, the, the talents where the wicked master that was a thief is always thought about as being God. But how can God be a wicked master and a thief? And so, so that story can be blown up really easy um, with, our, with our traditional versions. So people, um, and myself included, have gone through years of learning these stories in the same way without the ability to explore new thoughts and ideas and maybe even some breadth and depth to this story. And so, uh, so I think talking about the genres next to scripture will help us set the stage of why we're afraid to allow just people to explore these stories in a different way, why that is just so threatening. Let's talk about that. Can I jump in before we get Please. to the genres? Yeah. Um, something else too, when we're talking about whether the Bible is true, usually what we're actually at, usually what we're asking is whether it's historically factual, right? Did it really happen? Um, and just experientially, if I think about, you know, if we were to um, get proof that the story of Noah actually happened, my experience of that would be, oh, cool, you know, but when you look at the meaning behind the stories and what's being said about the character of God or what's being said about humanity, um, it's just more meaningful and it mm -hmm. doesn't really matter if it's historically factual. It's, it's like, like historically life, factual. Life it, it, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's like, Say that one more time, Jake. I can it's hear like, that. Clearly. It's like the life of pie metaphor. Oh, yeah. What's the better story? Is it the right. is the zoo animals in the boat trying to trying to make it, or is it a bunch of people on the boat that end up killing each other and nastiness? Mm -hmm. So what yeah. what's the better story? And I think that's when we get to genres and when we actually dig into them, especially national narratives. Um, mm -hmm the national narrative mm -hmm. of Israel. I think we put a lot of pressure on the character of God based upon one nation's understanding of God. Mm -hmm. And that comes with conquest and violence and destruction, which is completely outside of all the rest of the other books. But you have, you have three books in the middle that tell the story of the conquest and we had to deal with those head on. Um, something you said earlier, Kevin, as well, uh, about literacy rates. So the U.S., I looked it up right real fast. The U.S. literacy rate is only 79%. Wow. We're like ranked way low in literacy rate. Like a country like 
I was just there. Costa Rica, their literacy rate is 97%. Uh, uh, I have a clarifying question. Yes. Does literacy rate, um, like what's English? the, well, what's the reading level? So right. that's a great question. So the next, the next point I was going to make is that 54% mm -hmm. of all adults in the U.S. read below a sixth grade level. Hmm. Now we are in a very educated part of the world, right? Mm -hmm. If you're listening to this, you're listening to a podcast. So your literacy rate is probably very high. But when you start talking about scripture and the Bible and what that actually means, um, one in two people can't actually read or understand the genres and the text as it stands. And that is what the, the and wrong, wrongly so, the early priests were trying to do is control, control the text so that it can be adequately interpreted. Now, that brought, that brought a whole lot of issues with it, right? Um, so how do, we, how do we engage a text that is cumbersome and difficult to read and as we'll mm -hmm. soon be, have many genres that are packed into one book with a population of people that mm. probably one in two people can't even understand the words in the page. So as you, as we're talking about this, take that into consideration of how maybe the good swath of people is, this is going to be a struggle for. Well, I think that there's, there's one other thing that regulates so so things affect our interpretation but also our preaching and also our listening of scripture that causes us to galvanize some of the stories into what they've been in evangelicalism so one of those would be literacy rates so from ancient to modern now you're saying modern we have problems with our literacy rate so ancient to modern we had literacy rate that that is lower than you know international averages so so you have uh leaders using the bible and teaching it in a way that is is in a sense more controlling i, I remember rick warren years ago talking about biblical literacy rates and how our understanding of scripture or our reading of scripture is just so low. So really all we're doing is listening to regurgitated old stories. We're not even reading them anymore ourselves. We're just listening to regurgitated stories that someone else is telling their version of that story. Mm -hmm. So not only do we have literacy rates, we have biblical literacy rate that's super <laughs> low in our, in our country. But I'm reading a book called, um, uh, I just forgot the name of it. Miroslav Volf's book. Um, Life uh, Worth Living. Life Worth Living. Thank you. <laughs> I've been talking about this book the last several days to Jake. Life Worth Living by Miroslav Volf about his Yale class called Life Worth Living has taught it for years and basically has become a sociological study. But we filter things through kind of three we filter things in three ways. One is through virtue. And we think that a good life is led through intact virtues. And if we believe that, then we're going to read the Bible through that lens. 
or if we believe that that which feels good is good and that which feels bad is evil. So that's the utilitarianism. Kind of the utilitarian view of life. And, and that is kind of a pleasure seeking. So most Christians would say, well, that's a bad way of thinking, but most people act that way. So people act out in that way in utilitarian thinking, but then the Christian says, well, that's bad, even though the Christian does it themselves, right? So in the church, they try to act virtuous and out there just utilitarian, but really in reality, we all want to be virtuous. We all want to be utilitarian. There's really honestly nothing wrong with seeking certain forms of pleasure and there's nothing wrong with being virtuous. Uh, but then there's that internal like affect where the the that which makes me happy or that which produces joy that must be good so that affect of my mood or mm -hmm. yeah. my status internally so that then that goes right into like a buddhist type um negative emotions versus positive emotions the dalai lama that that we begin to think through that lens so we read the bible with that kind of lens so utilitarian lens an affectual lens or a virtuistic lens forms and shapes these stories so so it can't just be a story there has to be a historical pinpoint because this guy's got like lots of wives and and he's like sleeping around and God is using him anyway. And I don't, that doesn't match up to my virtuistic thinking. So that has to be placed in a box over here or, or like the, the scriptures in the new Testament, you know, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. You know, all the Pauline um, books of, you know, here's your laundry list of do's and don'ts. Well, that's very utilitarian right and so that which feels good must be bad and that which feels bad the stoics, must yeah. be stoicism. good stoicism so we get that stoicism utilitarian thinking so so i think that that also shapes what what shirea says is the joel oh i shouldn't use his name um somebody named joel Stands up and says, This is my Bible in which I believe, right? And he stands up and he says that every every sermon. Some pastor named Joel uh stands up and says that during his sermon. There's nothing wrong with that as long as you understand that that these stories have a certain place, they have a genre, they have shape, they have color and design. It's more Nor, like what saying the picture. You also can't believe in a text. Oh gosh, no. And so like, I believe scripture. Well, I believe, I think, I can't remember what he says. Maybe he does. I'm say sure he believe. says it. I think I know. Maybe, you're yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, it sounds about right. But I, but, I, mean, I mean, it's not like it, it's a bad hearted thing to no. say no yeah anyways but people worship the bible they end up worshiping a text that they don't according to biblical literacy rates don't even believe or don't even read well all they believe all, yeah so all fundamentalists that. do worship the bible over anything else right 
and but it's it's their interpretation that they worship not yeah. the bible itself they'll say it's scripture but really it's just their interpretation of it well i can fully admit after 20 some odd years of preaching every single sunday with very few sundays off sorry which is not a badge of honor <laughs> whatsoever <clears throat> because any preacher has done what i have done Produces toxic, unhealthy environments. But anyway, so I have produced toxic, unhealthy environments in my ministry by trying to control people's beliefs in certain ideals and thoughts. We've done it through membership covenants and contracts that so we take people through membership classes and they will believe these things or we... We speak things in such a certain way from the front that Rhetoric. you will feel shameful if you don't believe those things. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I've done it. I fully admit that I am completely remorseful over doing that very, doing this very thing that we're talking about because we're actually trained to do it as preachers. Yuck. Okay, Jake, get me off of myself and back onto you. Let's talk about genres. <laughs> I mean, I think to take oh, one step back. Going, what, just <laughs> sorry. What this is a big topic. Uh it's gonna take a long time. So what 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 you hold in your hands, it's a book, it's a collection of books, sixty-six of them written by hundreds of authors yeah. and I'll say hundreds people will say fewer but really truly that book is written by hundreds of authors if you look at the editorial section of your Bible and all those all those white man's names at the beginning of your ESV those are all authors of your text mm -hmm. they went through their own interpretation you have their views in the in, in the pages so you have all these people over two and a half millennium that we engage yeah. with today. And we try to make our best sense out of it. There are many different genres. A genre is a type of literature like poetry or prose or um, narrative or we'll get into that. So the first main genre is the narrative. It tells the story. Um, you see that in like the latter chapters of Genesis and Exodus poetry, uh, is another big one that you, that we deal with a lot. You see that a lot in the Psalms. Um, also you see that at the beginning of Genesis where you have that, you have two poems next to each other. You have two different stories of the, of the creation of, of the world. Uh, but those are two poems. You have the wisdom literature. Uh, those are, Proverbs, if you like the behavior of Proverbs text or Ecclesiastes, whoever wrote this article said Job, but I would not say that Job is a wisdom text. Oops. Prophecy. Um, and I've heard the joke that the creation story had to be told twice because they got it wrong and had to, and got it backwards the first time. So they had to say, yeah, they did in reverse order the second time. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that is a, what you would call like, well, you could call it, well, that's a mistake or an error in the scripture. But if you take it for as it truly is, 
and we can get into what that truly is later. Well, I mean, how about if it was just given to you in that one chapter form that that was just written on a piece of paper over here, not on a piece of paper, if that was just told orally tradition over here this way, Mm -hmm. and then some separate person over here told it this way, and the two of them came together and said, hey, let's write the Bible. My mm-hmm. uh, my hypothesis is that, that that's actually what happened is that they were in exile in in uh, Babylon. Uh, thank you, mm-hmm. Tiger Euphrates. I was like, going there, but then Babylon. They were in Babylon <laughs> in the ex in the exile, and you had multiple tribes of mm-hmm. Hebrew speakers, and so they each had their own telling of what happened. If you read the book of Genesis and the book of book of Exodus, and you actually look at it. There are two storylines almost going the entire time. And so it's two different old traditions that they're trying to place together. So like one of the main ones is uh, you look at Moses' life. Is Moses' family with him or are they staying in Midian waiting for him? Because there are two different stories happening at the same time. One, his wife and son are with him the entire time. And the second one is they're waiting for him in Midian. Just a little throw that out there they're both there right next to each other then you have the gospels and these the gospels is the god spell or the telling of the of of the christ um matthew mark luke i'll stop there the epistles well you have Um, the synoptic gospels which are the same and then you have john yeah yeah the synoptic gospels and you have john Mm -hmm. i mean i think john tells a different story Oh, a hundred percent. We're going to go over that in one of these episodes, aren't we? Yeah. And then you have epistles and that's the, the writings of the apostles after Jesus letters to the early church, epistle meant letter apocalyptic literature. And so that is like revelation parts of Daniel. Uh, gosh, apocalyptic uh, would be Thessalonians, parts of Thessalonians, second Peter. Yeah. Thank you. I'm my revela- my revelatory literature is not that great, so uh, that's not mine. Is favorite. I've taught through Revelation several times, and I have a great uh, preaching series on Revelation that I've done multiple times, and I have a pretty good handle on Revelation. When we get there, we'll be able to have a robust conversation about it because I think that there really is, honestly, really only one way to read revelation now you can interpret it many many different ways but there's only one way to read it and uh it's hard to get around that but we'll go over that here in the next so i I say all those narrative forms because when you look at a, a page of in your bible that author could be bouncing back from one to the other and no one really knows no one in the world knows, not even us, the best theologians. We are giving our best guess on what the author's intent was. We do not know them. We did not speak to us directly. Um, for most of the Old Testament, there were not even vowels. And so mm-hmm. how, do we, how do we figure out what a text is actually supposed to mean? Then we look at a New Testament and you start digging into the Greek and you see how translations actually change words in order to make it fit their narrative mm-hmm. or their, their desired outcome. You have, you have issues that you have to deal with. 
Shreya, do you have any Shreya, do you have any uh, thoughts on genre? No, not really. I think Jake got it. Like well, I think just lists. the comment on on the Bible being easy to understand. I don't think the Bible's easy to understand. And that's part of our challenge is we've tried to make it easy to understand. I mean, you see all these books behind me. That's how easy the Bible is to understand. Um, and I've thrown away volumes and volumes and volumes of commentary off of my shelf because now it's all online. So you look at the online material about the Bible and say, okay, the Bible is not easy to understand. And, and there are things in the Bible like contextual ideas um, historical ideas, backdrops that are written about within the narrative or the story, the myth that um, that color that 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 writing that we have no idea because we didn't live during that time. And so to to actually understand certain things um, is pretty irresponsible, like like any scripture that includes um, scriptures, commandments about women. Women were considered property back then. In many cases, they were property. So to actually like have a theology of gender out of scripture and use gender or the the gender alluded scriptures for your theology of gender, wow, that's uh, that's dangerous ground. I would say to to walk on because really we don't have clear scriptures of of relationships that are really besides a few that are honoring to one another um as as gender so i know that there's you know treat one another like christ would treat the church there's a few but there's also you know i mean you can you can you can find why would you there. why would you even believe in or why would you even subscribe or think scripture is is relevant when you can prove that slavery is okay in in scripture like it's actually affirming like the relationship between master and slave and how to act towards master and slave and slave mm -hmm. to master so um, there's problems with scripture contextually that people are not taking into consideration that i think we need to take a really close real look at scripture before we jump to any conclusions or hardline theologies uh, we need to consider something in those cases yeah. i mean the culture wars that we are in now where scripture becomes a proof text right like gay marriage or abortion or mm -hmm. um what else i Racial those, justice, um, well, any kind of othering, inequalities. I'm trying to think about like, like male, anything that's female. Like really proof text by scripture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those things do not exist in scripture. So then answer this question, because if I'm, if I'm just a normal guy and I'm approaching scripture through a normal lens and I'm just trying to read the Bible, right? Because my pastor told me, hey, you need to go home and pull out your coffee and journal every morning and spend 15 minutes with God. And so I hate that time. So I'm going to try my best because my pastor told me that I'm going to. So what is the Bible then? Like if the Bible has these challenges and problems, what am I supposed to get out of it?
What do you get out of it? Like, what does the Bible mean to you? I've been talking a lot. You go first, Ray. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the Bible is a collection of writings by people who were trying to figure out who God is and who they were and how they relate to God. And so within, within those writings, um, well, I think those are, those are questions that are timeless, right? Everybody asks those questions in one way or another. Who are Um, we and where are we? Right. And so for me, the Bible is how others have attempted to answer those questions. Um, and so it is, I don't know, a, a guiding light that sounds super cheesy, um, but it's not necessarily the destination. Mm-hmm. I think for me, do you want me to answer next, Jake? Cause you're talk too much or what? <laughs> sure, why not? Go for it. Okay. What does the Bible mean to me? Because I answered this in our pre-work, but I want to add more if I can. So the Bible to me is a beautiful story and a collection of beautiful stories. Like they are quite interesting, beautiful, redemptive, and they illustrate in color and um, show, I guess, uh, they, they paint that picture. I'll use sure is painting a picture of the best opportunity I have of understanding God outside of nature and my surroundings. So I can look into the stars in the sky and say, wow, God's a pretty cool God. Right. Or I can look at the trees and the birds in the field and the wheat and the green and go, wow, God's a pretty good, cool God. But that was a ancient, uh, the Bible is like an ancient version of people's heartfelt understanding of God. And the central story to that heartfelt understanding of God is Jesus. And the story that matters to me the absolute most is the central story of all Christianity of all time is Christ the death, burial and resurrection of Christ. So all things actually hinge for me on the resurrection. So my view of people, my view of everything, how creation is, how creation isn't, um, how I'm to treat people, everything hinges on the resurrection, what's happening during the resurrection, in and around the resurrection, and the rest of the Bible. Everything pre that story is everything leading up to that story, and anything post that story is how people responded to that story of the resurrection. I can't pull too many historical accuracies and archaeological dug up facts that changed that for me. (laughs) I mean, I, I can, I can try to prove that this was actually historically accurate. This was not, 
honestly, in the big picture of things that like, like Sheree was saying, does it really matter? Does it change that central story for me? It actually doesn't um, because that story takes faith. Mm -hmm. That story right there, the story of the resurrection takes a lot of faith. And so anything leading up to that, anything post that is just our human responses towards that or away from that. And that's what the Bible means for me. It's good. I, I definitely have had a hard time answering this question. Um, because it, it, it can't be nuanced to one to one idea as it is an ancient text that we have that many times we have no idea what to do with because I think the authors were actually trying to figure out things that they had no idea what to do with. Mm -hmm. And so the, the scripture shows a, a world of friction of figuring out the divine and humanity's place with that divine. Mm. And so when, when we engage with that and we're trying to explain to others what we have felt, what we've seen, what we've heard, mostly what we've felt, um, I think that's, that's scripture when when the new testament writers were talking about scripture that was that was the torah that was the first five books mm -hmm. we have a much broader understanding of scripture now and that that's what kind of gets us into trouble with with some things we'll talk about later but when you when you take the story of jesus as central and the command in scripture that that everything is based on the, to love your, love yourself, love your neighbor and love God. And if we truly live that out, our entire world world would change. <coughs> and so that's, that's what I think the Bible was trying to give an image of as well is mm. what, what is the imagination of those, of those people to show a world that is truly changed by, by goodness. I think Jürgen Moltmann said in his book on hope, correct me if I'm wrong, that it's a big book. So I don't know if I could, I know, I know life that has purpose has some sort of source and Miroslav Wolf in his book, life worth living stole that. I think didn't steal it, but Miroslav Wolf is a, is a student of Jürgen Maltmann, so he adopted that from his teacher where, and, it, and it's known that conviction and neurosis are very, very close in and related to one another. So you can have strong conviction and be totally neurotic because That's it's our system. 
that is generated from self. So if you have just a self conviction, I'm convicted on this principle, <laughs> you know, you can be convicted on some pretty whacked out ideas and that's neurotic. So, so conviction and neurosis is very close unless it has a source, an outside source. And sometimes when we're children, that outside source is our parents or grandparents or whoever raised us, that outside source to give us what is good and bad, evil, um, healthy, whatever um, conviction we have comes from like a parental figure, but eventually it goes beyond that, that there's a source. So that source is very important, whether you call that God or Kant would call that reason. So whatever we choose to to develop that source from that, that conviction needs to be based on source uh, versus just self, because then that can very easily become neurotic. So when our source is God, as seen, let's say in scripture, in the Bible, right? When we use the Bible in a really wrong way, that can become very threatening to that idea. That if our source turns out to be a lie, then my convictions that I've always lived by become neurotic immediately. Then all of a sudden I become, I feel like I'm crazy. And some of us have really actually gone through that. I've actually said that, like, am I crazy? I've always believed this. Has anyone else heard this? Right? <laughs> so then all of a sudden you like start deconstructing and you're like, okay, so, so actually what happens when that's purposefully or manipulatively done is that source to our conviction is one of the main aspects of resilience in adversity. Mm -hmm. And so we gain resilience in adversity when we have conviction that is based on a greater than our own understanding of self and the the greater the greater i have of understanding that source the greater resilience i will have when i face adversity meaning my life is not my own i live for a greater purpose i'm here to protect this idea i'm going to fight this fight because it's the right thing to do because i learned that from the outside source right so our resilience comes from that outside so when that outside source is threatened i would say when people started throwing around the word spiritual abuse i was like okay hold on because that is the truest form of spiritual abuse when you use the bible in a way that is not correct that threatens people's source which threatens their conviction which threatens their resilience in adversity and so when people then face adversity they have they're just like in a watery slough they don't know what to do so going back to those boxes i think in that in that wandering time that center box that disorder time that can be a very vulnerable time because right at that moment our source might have been disrupted therefore my conviction of what i believe is disrupted 
therefore my vulnerability and adversity is high. And I've seen lots of people just fall completely off the wagon, fall completely out of marriages, fall completely out of just stability because their spiritual source got disrupted because somebody taught them and it happens very simply which builds to bigger somebody taught them a false narrative of the creation story somebody's taught them some weird idea about some scriptural story and then you start breaking that down in your mind to the point is jesus even real anymore and so that's what happens when we misuse the bible so in these podcasts in these episodes leading up and i hope that this is interesting to some of you, and you can get something out of this. In this series, what we're going to uh, go for is, if I can bring up my notes here really quick, in my notes, we are going to give, I'm going to just give you a preview. We're going to look at the creation of the Bible next and how it was created. That's how we're going to introduce our next podcast. But out of that, we're going to talk about translations and where translations come from and what they are. And then we're going to go right into creation accounts. So we'll probably end up right there in our next podcast because we talk a lot. So creation narratives, that's what we're going to talk. That's how Adam and Eve the separation of water and land, God breathed life into Adam, blah, blah, that whole story. That's what, blah, blah, blah. That's what we're going, that's what we're going to talk about uh, next week. We're going to talk about the story of Noah and the flood. We're going to talk about the story of David, Saul, David, and Solomon, and that series of people. We're going to talk about David um, specifically in, an, in a separate episode. We're talking about Abraham, the story of Abraham. Specifically, we're going to focus on the story of Ishmael because that is obviously these are not in order. <laughs> no, 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 no. Sorry, uh, I'm just reading them off the page. Yeah, they might be wrote. in order when we actually do the episodes, but yeah, yes, they'll be in order. <laughs> are we going to do it in chronological order? We're we just going to bounce around. Doesn't matter. We'll talk about it anyway. Later. We're going to talk about the Book of John. The book of John, we're going to talk about the book of Revelation. It's probably pretty much going to bring us into sometime in January. We're really excited to do or, this series. Or March. Or March. Who knows? May. No, not that long. Not, not that long. It'll get too boring after a while. Anyway, I hope everyone got something out of this. We are deconstructing and reconstructing the Bible. Um, what to believe and what to leave when it comes to the Bible. We hope that you enjoyed this tonight. If you want to support us, go to the Patreon page and the Constructionist or go to the link and give to us on the link in the show notes or the social media platform you listen to. With that, good night, everybody. Thanks for joining us.